Morning, Spartan family. Welcome to our podcast. This is your podcast host for episode nine, Lake Forest Superintendent Stephen Lucas. And I am proud to bring you our podcast about the Lake Forest School District in fabulous Felton, Delaware. I'm here with the Lake Forest School District 2023 Teacher of the Year, Mrs. Lindsay Saxton. And together we will be talking about her experiences as Lake Forest Teacher of the Year, as well as her role as a teacher of agricultural sciences here at Lake Forest High School. We're glad you are here and ask you to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. They can find us on most podcast providers, including Apple, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to bookmark us and allow notifications so you will know when a new episode is dropped. So now, on with the show. Welcome, Mrs. Saxton. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Lake Force Spartan Podcast. And more so for serving as our teacher of ag science at Lake Forest High School. There's so many cool things always going down in your shop. I love going down there. I always like to start our podcast by getting to know a bit about our guests. So tell us all about yourself. Well, as you said, my name is Lindsay Saxton and I do teach agriculture here. Um, it is honestly a pleasure. I, uh, I began my entire journey, I think, kind of leading up to becoming an agriculture teacher at Cesar Rodney High School, um, where I took four years of pretty much what I teach. It was floriculture. Um, and it was there that I really started to realize that this might be a career path for me. Um, but even prior to arriving at high school, I was a part of an agriculture family. Um, so my grandfather was a potato farmer up here in Dover. And I spent most every weekend on that farm, whether it would be digging rocks out of the driveway or helping around the farm or taking care of my goats that we later purchased. And I really started to develop that love for agriculture, whether it was the hands-on activities or sitting around the Sunday dinner table and, and sharing a meal and understanding what he'd gone through and what had happened that week on the farm. Um, you know, then you add all that up and you add it to the high school experience of learning about plant science and the FFA. And it kind of seemed like the perfect little marriage. Um, and then as you progress from there, I've always been kind of a person that has a vision and a plan. And, and I realized that going to college probably wasn't going to be enough. And so I started to find ways to learn more about the the job I was going to do. And so I went and worked for Spazato Landscaping um, down in the Milton area to figure out what it was like to be a landscape designer, but also an installer. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to teach floral design too. I probably should get better at that. So then I went in college and decided to work at a flower shop there and earn a little bit of cash because you're always dirt poor in college. So I figured that'd be a good combination. And then from there, before I went and transitioned into my first teaching position, I uh, worked at Pfeiffer Orchards where kind of learned more about the agritourism section, but also the grading of produce. Um, just kind of the customer service side of things. And I figured if I could learn all of those things, and of course, far, far more than just that, then I'd be able to come in here as an educator and kind of share it with my students as well. Um, aside from, I think, the background and the professional side of things, um, I think I'm just your typical farm girl. Um, you know, <laughs> I love the beach dearly. And if you hand me an ATV or a four-wheeler, I'm in heaven. And I like to read when I get my, my free time, but there's not much of that in this job. So, and of course, shopping. I love shopping. <laughs> Shopping for uh, four-wheelers and other farm products, I'm sure. Ah, yeah, and clothes. You know, everybody needs those, too. (laughs) So that's awesome. That's amazing. And I know you do a great job down there. I love every time I go down there, I still need some more of that lettuce. So when you guys start growing Mm -hmm. lettuce in the spring, make sure I get some of that delicious lettuce. Now, you were 2023 Lake Forest Teacher of the Year. That was last year. Tell us about that experience. 
So becoming Teacher of the Year honestly was something that intimidated me. I remember um, when Miss Philly came to the door and she told me that I had gotten the nomination and uh, she asked me whether or not I was going to accept it. And I told her, I don't think so. And she was <laughs> like, well, why not? And I was like, because this is a lot of work. Um, and I was like, you going to help me through it? And she's like, yeah, I'll help you through it. And I was like, all right, then let's go. Um, and that's kind of how it all began. Um, on the you know, the building side of thing is where you have to win the nomination first. And, and that's that's an application. And, and I'd been through that process before. Um, but a lot of that is writing. And as an agriculture teacher, we're good at digging holes and, and public speaking. But writing is something that we sometimes struggle with because we very much write like we speak. Um, and colleges don't like that very much. Um, and also people that review applications find that as a problem, too. So, Ms. Phil, you really helped me kind of with that aspect of things. Um, and then from there, you go into an interview. Um, and that that wasn't that hard for me. It was, it's interesting when you interview as an ag teacher for teacher of the year, because they're always asking about a lot of data and about a lot of curriculum base and stuff like that. And for us, of course, that's a major part of what we do, but it seems like in combination with everything else we do, it's kind of a sidebar sometimes. And so some of those questions were actually a little more challenging than what I would have expected. Um, And then I was lucky enough to win the building nomination and then advance to the district. And that's when they come to do the observations. And as a teacher, you're always a little nervous with an observation, but I think as a district teacher of a year, like running for that, that observation is is much more complex. It was like an army, it felt like, that came in twice through my room. And I remember my kids, they were were more nervous than I was at some points. I'm like, guys, they're not watching you they're watching me just do your best and you know it was it was a really cool experience though for them to realize that they were a part of something special too um and then I I was blessed enough to win district teacher of the year and that's when the process really changes even more um to go ahead and run for state teacher of the year and that all kind of starts to gear up in the summertime and they will have a meeting. Um, it was virtual because we were still kind of coming out of the COVID. And so we did a virtual meeting where they kind of explained the process and the possibilities of potentially winning state teacher of the year. Um, and then from there in the summer, it's really building of that portfolio that they have you. We at Lake Forest do a good job. A lot of those questions are a part of the state portfolio, but there is a few more in addition to that. Um, so I know I spent, I always go to DC every year with the kids for one of our conferences. And I remember I spent a lot of time there kind of reflecting and kind of really figure out like, what do I want to share with the state of Delaware? What do I want to what do I want to advocate for as not only an agriculture teacher, but an educator in general, in case I was to win, you know, state teacher of the year. I don't just represent my field. I represent all fields. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the summer doing that. And then in addition to that, they also have you film um, your video. Um, which is incredibly intimidating. I've never read through a teleprompter a day in my life until then. And I I think that was the worst experience I've had (laughs) in education for a long while. Those words run just so fast and it's hard to keep up. Um, But you go ahead and you do that as well. And then from there, as soon as the school year breaks, I I don't even think you've seen your kids five days and they start their state observations. Um, And so that's actually was a lot easier than my district teacher of the year observations. Um, But that it just kind of all adds up to them trying to get the best image of who the educator is in the state of Delaware. And then the interesting thing about the videos that I had to film is that you actually, those videos are not seen unless you are top three. Oh, um, so I you have to make that. it to the top three in order for that video to actually be seen um, by the committee. Okay. So and you never know, you never know where you rank in the, the orders. Well, I'll tell you that from my experience, you rank really high. And I, I was really shocked that. that you were not state teacher of the year because you are an exceptional candidate. One of the things is that you're so well-spoken um, you know, and I know your, your background. Were you in FFA when you were in high school? Yes, I was. And that's one thing I'm always so impressed with the kids in FFA is how well-spoken they are. 
I know that when we go to ceremonies and events and things like that, it's very scripted, but even off script, like when I talk to the students and the leadership team, especially, they're always so professional with eye contact and, you know, the way that they speak to you, it's like speaking to adults, very professional people. So um, tell me about that and how, you know, FFA just makes that such an important part of the of the experience. So FFA is great for pushing you out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, I can think back to where I was in 2005 when I started my freshman year of high school, and I would have rather sat in that corner than have talked to anybody. And it really is because of the FFA program that I was in and them constantly pushing me to do more that I became the public speaker that I am and, and the educator I am for that much. Um, when it comes to our students, it's we are blessed. We have an incredible agriculture community here. Um, and we have a lot of active 4-H chapters. And you will see that a lot of our kids that are exceptionally well-spoken have usually started off in a 4-H club somewhere here. And then they get to us. And they're, they're already a step ahead of just your average student. And then we really start with the grind. And it, it kind of just depends on which CDE or LDE, which is our competitions, that they elect to choose on kind of where they end up growing as a public speaker. Um, a lot of my kids, they, they know when they get to me that I do most of the public speaking competitions. And, and I tell them off the bat, like, listen, you're going to become become uncomfortable. Like, to sound good, you have to sound crazy in your own head. And that's something I tell them from day one. And we just keep pushing on that. Um, so we always teach them, first of all, that, you know, what you say matters um, and who you talk to matters. And, and people don't forget those words. And so make sure that they're worthy to be heard. Um, but on top of that, you know, we really just try to pour into them and, and give them those, those critiques, but valuable critiques. And it's not a matter of, let's just get you through this competition. It's a constant reflection of like, hey guys, yesterday at the meeting, it went really well, but next time let's try this. Um, and our kids, they're, they're lifelong learners. They're, they're not, we, we are truly blessed in this district. You know, you look around the state and sometimes it's like, you forget how lucky you are. Um, but our kids want to be here. They want to be a part of the program. They want to leave here and they want to change the world. And, and luckily they have that drive within them. So it's easy to go ahead and, and hand them the skills because you know they're going to keep building upon it. Um, I look at my uh, Ag Issues team that they were just in the top 16 in the nation. And those girls were all over the spectrum when I got them. Um, but they, they fed off of each other and they were like, oh, she's really good. I got to get that good. And they put in the time. And those girls were literally voice memoing each other every single night with practicing their speeches and, and what they had to say just to make sure that they were prepared. So our kids are one of a kind and their work ethic is just, it's unseen and we're blessed. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We're blessed in a lot of ways. we got great kids. And we have a great community. We have great support. And um, this is a great place to work. So if you're listening and you don't know about the Lake Forest School District, um, come check us out because we have a lot of great things going on. Sure. Um, let's get back on script. So most people don't know how rigorous that selection process was for Teacher of the Year. So um, tell us about what exactly, like, what is the selection process? Like, what happens? You mentioned that you go through that, you know, there's the interview process that they evaluate it, but like how many people compete? How many, how many start off? And then eventually I assume it whittles its way down to one. I think there was 30 of us, I want to say was in my pool. It was, it was in the low thirties, upper twenties, um, that are a part of the Canacy pool and it's all the public high schools. And there was a couple charter schools, I believe in the mix as well. Um, so honestly, I mean, it's not a huge number. Right? You would have thought there would have been more teachers when you originally enter the pool. And then from there, you know, it does whittle down to one. And as I said, you know, it eventually whittles down to three, but you never know who those three are. 
Um, but you know, the, the process, the process when it comes to the rigor, I think it's almost a mental battle more than it is actually what you do. Like the portfolio is very large and it's it's very reflective. Um, luckily, the state brings in a past national teacher of the year and she always does a PD each summer. And she kind of helps you to start to, to understand like what kind of things they're really looking for. Um, so that's always useful. But it's also sitting around that room. And I remember sitting at DOE and looking around the room and realizing that every single person that sat in that room was an incredible educator. Um, and it's also too, you know, what are they looking for and what makes you different? But what can you bring to the state of Delaware? And I think that's why the rigor, it's not so much what you do. It's, it's the mental battle to really make sure that you're going to be prepared if selected and to make sure that you turn a product at that isn't just basic information. It is incredibly reflective and, and deep. Um, you know, the interview and the observation itself, was, as I said, it was probably easier than the district. It was just two ladies that came in and then they sat down at my table with me and had a very casual conversation. I was shocked how casual the conversation was. Um, and they were really just there to kind of celebrate us as the state or as the district teachers of the year and just to learn more about us to figure out who was going to be the state teacher of the year. I think the most rigorous and hardest part about it was the day I had to show up and film that video. Um <laughs> You know, there was two sections of it. There was a speech that I gave, as I said, that was only going to be seen if we were in the top three. But then it was the candid interview questions. And unfortunately for me, I'm one of those people that just kind of goes raw. And it's it's just easier to just really just talk and have a conversation with somebody than to have tried to go on in there and memorize everything. And I remember walking out of that room that day and I was like, I either gave them exactly what they wanted or I was completely off base, you know. But I think it's really just trying to figure out what they're looking for. And I, I think that's the rigor in it. It's not so much what you do. It's it's the mental battle and the prep that goes in to it. Yeah. And, and I, I just know from experience because our teachers of the year candidates do so well. And for the listener, you know, that's one candidate from each district. There's 19 districts and charters. So when you get down to that level out of thousands and thousands of, of educators and you get down to the, the final 20, just to get to that point is pretty impressive. Um, but I just know from our experience, our candidates always do really well because the process at the district level is so rigorous and Mr. Mormon does such a great job preparing you guys for that. So to get through that process is is commendable. Now, um, let's get back onto agriculture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know what goes on in an agriculture classroom. So tell us, what is your, what's it like in your classroom? What are some of the things you're learning? What are some of the things you guys are doing? I think the best way to describe an agriculture classroom is organized chaos. Um, I know every time administrators walk in, they're, they're a bit confused <laughs> and a bit concerned. Um, but our kids are honestly learning exactly what they want, exactly how they want to learn it. Um, for example, just the past two weeks, we have been knee deep in Christmas wreaths. And, and my kids, it is nowhere close to a traditional classroom. They are walking in and, and the warm up is, is gather your supplies, gather your greens, figure out what your wreath size and order is for the day and get your team ready. You know, that is the warm up. And, and while that might not be your traditional educational warm-up, that is them warming up for the day. It's just like a career. You know, if you walked into an automotive shop, you're not going to have a piece of paper to fill out. You're going to need to get your supplies. You're going to need to grease things up. You need to pull the car in, you know. And so we're trying to kind of somewhat develop those employability skills right off the bat as well. Um, and then from there, they go straight into production. And those kids have, they have worked so hard. Those reads this year have been gorgeous. There's been some years, it's like, what is that? <laughs> and then there's other years this year, I'm like, wow, they're giving it a haircut and it's almost too much. Um, so they have just done an incredible job and, and they work through the entire period. And, and there's rubrics, of course, that go with it. You know, they get graded individually twice a week and then they get a product grade as a team each week based upon the quality that they're actually producing. Um, we do two days of no grades just because 
because the number of kids that are going out right now for sicknesses is quite a bit. So I want to make sure I have some flexibility so that nobody's grades is hurt. Um, but that's now, you know, then you get to other days and, and it's a science class. You know, you're, you're sitting there and, and we're lecturing and you're, you're taking your notes on plant anatomy and you're doing labs to support that and, and whatever the case may be. So I think what our kids love so much about our class is, is that it's different every day. It, it's not what you would expect inside the building. Um, but in the same notion, it, something happens the moment they step out of those pool doors. It's almost like they breathe or they relax. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that three minute walk up the hill or whatever it is, but they start to feel a little bit more comfortable um, just not being in the main school. And I think it's just because they know, like, I'm not math and English. Like, my class is important. Like, I don't want to discredit it, but we're home for a lot of kids. You know, they know that us as teachers that we're there for them and we're going to help them, whether it's a math class, it's a home issue or whatever the case may be, but also that this is something that they enjoy. Um, and this is something that's fun. And while they still have a test and they still have projects and things to do, they're things that they want to do. Um, and I think that really changes our classes versus your traditional class, not, not knocking the traditional classes. They're wonderful. But for us, I think that's our advantage is that they like what they do. And they're learning really practical things. I mean, like you said, um, because I assume that they're, there's record keeping and they're, you know, they're, you guys are selling those wreaths. So somebody's sure. keeping track of how many, how much you're collecting and what you guys are doing with the money and who's yes. and purchasing and all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, the kids want to know their daily quota and how many we have for the next day. I don't know if they're praying that this hurry up and ends or I'm not sure what it is, <laughs> but they, they're very much on top of our numbers and they want to know prices and, and everything. And they're even selling. They even have customer sales sides. We're really maxed out at this point. I'm running out of frames, but they are still still trying to sell to whoever will buy one. <laughs> and I know there's uh, there's two other ag teachers. You got uh, Mr. Uh, Curry and Miss um, uh, Scott. Miss Scott. Mm-hmm. And so, what are their class? What are their classes are different than your class? You're teaching plant science. Yes. Um, what is Mrs. Scott teaching? So she is animal science. Animal um, science. Okay. And they have actually been doing some dissections. Um, if you follow on um, the Lake Forest FFA alumni, uh, that's where we push out a lot of our classroom stuff as well. And uh, just today, I think it was uh, deer hearts that they were dissecting. Wow. Um, a kid brought them in. Of course, it's deer season, so he was harvesting, <laughs> and he brought his in, and they were going through those. And so she does a lot with the dissections, um, but also just the general barn production. So we have. I think it's three ewes out there right now that are bred, uh, God willing, they're bred, um, and they will have their babies in February and March. And so the kids will get to see that entire process as well. Um, and then those animals will go ahead and become our lambs for the Delaware State Fair. Um, prior to that, we had had five hogs in the barn, um, and the kids really did learn from the the pasture to the plate on that one. Um, so the five hogs that we had, they were raised up, and I think the two that are left go to the butcher tomorrow. Um, so the kids have been working to feed them and, and to maintain their health and, and to get them so that they can be the sausage and bacon that we all enjoy. Um, so she really does a wonderful job of not only teaching them all the anatomy and physiology, but also just the practical domestic, you know, growth and raising of these stocks. Uh, Mr. Curry, he is ag mechanics and fabrication. His class, I feel like some days is all over the place. You know, Mr. Curry, uh, his biggest weakness is he doesn't say no. Uh, so <laughs> if a farmer shows up with a busted trailer and a busted whatever, or somebody needs the carburetor changed in their car or whatever the case may be, you know, Mr. Curry's answer is always yes. Um, so his class kind of it varies. But the thing is, is that that that's normal. You know, if you were on a farm, that's how it works, too. Um, if you worked in a mechanic shop, you know, people just show up. Um, but he also teaches a lot of welding. Um, and we have a plasma cutter in there, which the kids have been really excited about. And so they've been really working out the kinks of that and, and creating some really unique designs um, on top of, I think he teaches a little electrical here and there too. So he's he's a little bit of everything, but it's a lot of the mechanic side um, and the welding side of things that he focuses on. 
Sounds like there's a lot of things that we are preparing those students for to do after high school. What are some of the jobs these kids typically will migrate to or where will they go after high school? Well, it's interesting you asked that. You know, I, I was looking at some statistics yesterday, and it's, I think, 29% of all American jobs are somehow tied to agriculture, and that actually comes out to be over 4 million jobs. Um, and that's a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not 100%, but even when you look outside of that, I guarantee you there's more jobs than just 29% that are somehow associated with an agriculture product. Um, our kids are all over the spectrum. You know, we have kids that they want to be lawyers, and they're going to somehow probably represent agriculture in some way, shape, or form. We have a bunch of kids right now that are really interested in environmental science um, and they're going to go to college and, and study that and whether they remain in the environmental science field, they become advocates on Capitol Hill, whatever the case may be, I think it's really an endless opportunities for them. Um, a lot of our boys, I know we have um, a couple guys down here working at the cat dealership where they're mechanics there. Um, I know we've had kids interested at Kubota. I know we have kids that are down there at Taylor Messick. Um, I know we have a number of kids that have been interested in being veterinaries, um, in addition to just being veterinary techs as well. Um, And those are just the ones that are at the top of my head and just kids that I know that have expressed interest in those things. Um, I have one girl right now, and and I don't even know, she kind of pulled this out of left field. She's interested in food science. Um, And while we don't have a food science pathway here, you know, the careers in food science are absolutely incredible right now, and they pay a lot of money. Um, So our kids are definitely looking at every single avenue of agriculture and finding a way that they can find their place there. It's one of those things that, you know, to go to work and hate your job every day, that's really difficult. Um, So our kids are learning, I think, at an early age that, you know, I got to be in this industry somewhere and somehow, but I also have to be able to provide for my family and really trying to find that perfect spot for themselves. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there's at least one or two back there that want to be um, ag teachers. There is a couple. We heard learned of a new one uh, just this past weekend. So yes, there's a few of those as well. So we talked a little bit about this, but what is the connection with FFA? Can you, can you explore that relationship a little bit and tell us how that works. Yeah. So um, in agriculture, education is technically a three circle model. So in order for students to be enrolled in an agriculture education course and essentially to do it well, you have to do three things. The first one is you have to be in an ag class. Um, The second one is you have to have an SAE project, which stands for supervised agriculture experience. And those are projects that they have outside of school. It could be their dog or a job or all kinds of things. Um, And the final one is, is they have to be a member of the FFA. Um, We are an affiliated FFA chapter. And so what that means is that we pay for all of our students who walk through our doors, we pay for their dues. Um, So they are all considered national FFA members. Now it's like we tell them, it's what you do with it. Um, You can either choose to maximize that opportunity and do everything you can, or you can choose to say, you know what, I'm not interested. Um, But it gives them the opportunity by us being affiliated to change their mind, um, because we know high schoolers, they change their mind all the time. So um, now we do still charge dues on top of that. um, And if you pay your dues, then that gets you to be a dues paying member, which opens up more opportunities to like the farm show trip and get you your chapter t-shirt and so on and so forth. Um, But it's just kind of an integral part of agriculture education to really optimize all of those opportunities. The idea is that you take what you learn in the class classroom, you apply it to your individual project, and then you also apply it to a competition, which kind of just pushes you a little bit further. And those competitions are what really kind of, like you mentioned earlier, helps them to become those strong public speakers and, you know, just a little bit more certified and educated in the industries to go out into the world and make even a bigger difference or maybe more money, whatever they choose to do. Well, it definitely prepares uh, the kids for uh, for things that they're real world things that they're going to experience. I mean, it, it is pretty incredible. Now, there's a few big events throughout the year, Mm -hmm. the FFA 
big events. Tell us a little bit about those. I think I've heard of the Big E, the Nationals, the yep. States. So I guess I'll just start at the beginning of the school year because it's probably easiest that way. Um, before school, we have the Delaware State Fair, which is you know about two and a half weeks of our lives. And, and that's, of course, where the kids show all of their stock. But also we when you say two and a half weeks, that's like 24 seven. I mean, people actually camp out. Down oh, there. yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a 24 <laughs> seven adventure. You never know when something's going to get sick or somebody needs help. So but they show all their stock there. And that is the final um, time that we get to certify teams to go out to the National FFA convention or for Big E for that matter. Um, then the school year starts, um, and it's usually around September 15th-ish, is that we go to the Big E, and that is the regional competitions. So any first place public speakers or second place teams advances to Massachusetts, um, where they go out there and they compete as well. Um, it's kind of a practice round for everyone. It doesn't cut anybody at that point, but it helps to build our speakers to be stronger when they get to the national level. Um, and for those second place teams, it hopes to hopes is to train them a little bit more so they can go come back and win it in the year to come. Then you're home about a month and a half, if that, um, and then you turn back around and you head out to National FFA convention. Um, and I always tell everybody that's like Christmas for an FFA member. Uh, usually that's <laughs> that's usually the highlight of their FFA career is getting to go out there. And I think we almost, I, I want to say it was like 69,000 FFA members and, and guests in attendance this year at the convention. And it's in the city of Indianapolis. And it's one day you'll have to come out, Dr. Lucas, because it's, <laughs> it's just a whole different ball game. But you go out there and it's literally a sea of blue. All you see is blue corduroy jackets. And, and that's the most respectful group of individuals that you will ever be associated with. And enthusiastic. And, oh, they, they the are videos. that too. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a little crazy sometimes, but we love them. Um, but that's where we compete nationally. Um, so I can't remember how many teams we took out this year. I think it's like five-ish or so um, teams that we had out there. It was about 15 kids that traveled with us. And so um, they were all over the spectrum. They, they rank our teams um, bronze, silver, and gold. Um, and so we had a couple bronze um, and a couple silver teams that were out there as well. And then Ag Issues was top 16 in the nation, which is the first time the Delaware has ever advanced that far. So that was pretty cool. That's amazing. That's incredible. Now, um, the FFA has kind of um, got kind of a little hierarchy chain of command. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about who the FFA officers are and what their jobs are? Yeah, this is going to be a test here. There's 10 oh, of them. Um, I should have prepped you for that. I <laughs> know, you're good. Um, so we do have 10 officers. That oh, I didn't know you had that many. Wow. Yeah, we okay. fluctuate on a year-to-year -year basis on how many we elect. Um, we do not choose our officers. We pull in a committee um, of state officers, uh, administrators, community members, you name it. We develop a committee of people that we hope to choose a, a well-rounded but qualified bunch of kids. Um, and we let them choose. They can choose anywhere between six officers as the minimum and then all the way up to 10. Um, this was the first year that the committee actually chose to elect a chaplain. Um, and I think that's the first time that's ever happened in Lake Forest history. Um, but it's been, it's been an interesting addition. Um, so we start with Kaylin Pippen. She is our chapter president. Um, she is a senior. And then her job is to kind of just make sure that nothing falls apart and, and to really lead her team by example. Um, then you have Katie Argo. She is the vice president. Um, she is there for when Kaylin is not. Kaylin took a big fancy vacation last week. So uh, Katie really got to show her show her, her skills last week. Um, and then after that, you have secretary, which is going to be Miley Wilkie. Um, she's, of course, minutes and agendas and so on and so forth. Um, and then you have Aiden Gary in there. And he is your junior advisor. Um, and he's there to kind of he's a senior. So to provide a little bit of wisdom and, and kind of help guide guide that team. And then from there, you drop down into treasurer, which is Grace Murphy. She manages all of our money. And then you get into reporter, um, which is Izzy Wilson. Um, and she really has a passion for marketing, um, but also is responsible for like all the PowerPoints. So she is running around just about every week, um, gathering pictures and videos and things to put on social media to really show this community more about what we do. Um, and then from there, we get down to Sentinel, which is Mason Hay. 
So his job is to make sure that everything is clean and organized and kind of be the bouncer of FFA. We don't usually have many issues, but <laughs> this is the easiest way to explain it. Um, and then from there, you get to historian, um, which is Gigi Rosano. Um, and she is responsible for a lot of the pictures as well as the scrapbook. And then you get to Margot Stewart, which is our parliamentarian. Um, so she does parley time just about every meeting and where she starts to teach the kids about Robert's Rules of Order and kind of how proper meetings are run. Um, and then I hope I didn't miss one of them. I forgot one. I'm sorry, children. And the final one is um, Montana Golden, and she is our historian or is our uh, chaplain, excuse me. And she is really just kind of there to kind of inspire our members and, and to really kind of help to uplift them and, and to let them know that, you know what, you might have a bad day tomorrow, but tomorrow's a new day. And that's kind of her role is to be that uplifting person. In addition to she's been outstanding, kind of just picking up all these other random jobs this year and really running with them. And I tell you, I recognize those names involved in so many other things at Lake Forest. I mean, you had. Uh, you know, soccer players and field hockey players and uh, cross country runners and football players and uh, just uh, kids that are involved in student government and everything else. So, so, so those are some of the top, top kids here in our school, and they're always really representing us well. So thank you for the leadership you're showing them down there and uh, appreciate that. Not a problem. Thank you. Now, what about the future for Lake Forest Ag education and where are we going? What's our direction? What's the strategy? And we're dreamers, that's for sure. Uh, I think Will Curry sometimes is the biggest dreamer of us all. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, the goal is to constantly keep growing. And, and I will say that um, Mr. Reichenberg, he he's really a visionary, too. And, and I think he keeps he challenging us to to do more. You know, he brought a lot of information from Maryland into here and, and he keeps pushing. And it's like, there's only so much time, um, you know, but I know just for my personal side of things, you know, we do about two to three weddings a year, and that's something that we want to maintain um, in our flower shop. You know, so that's something if anybody's listening to this podcast and you have a wedding in the next year or so, you know, feel free to reach out to us. Um, we do it at a much more affordable rate than what your regular florist is, that is for sure. Um, but I want to continue to bring in those things into our flower shop to really give those kids that hands on experience um, and to make sure that when they leave here, they can either do their own wedding and not have to pay top dollars, you know, cost, or they can go ahead and work for Genmore or somebody like that and, or maybe even open their own business. Yeah. Um, I know right now, next here to the district office, um, we have all of these fields around us. It's about uh, between 10 and 20 acres. Curry knows the exact number. Um, but our hay crop has been a little iffy over the years. So we've been trying to figure out other ways to use this property and really to show these kids more about the diversity of agriculture and also what can you do on just a little bit of ground. So what I have over here I think it's an acre and a half. Um, it's the cutoff right here by district office. And the intentions for over there is to get high tunnels. So we put that into the Perkins grant um, to be able to extend our growing season. So I can have your lettuce a little bit longer. Um, we can put tomatoes out there and not have to worry about the frost. Um, in addition to planting a bunch of orchard trees, Christmas trees, raspberries, strawberries, blueberries, and kind of just show them a diversity of plants. Um, because, you know, Delaware is getting very gridlocked and there's not as much land anymore. And, and on top of the fact that the prices are just astronomical, so kids might not be able to have their own farm, um, but if they have an acre or two, we want to be able to teach them that they can still have some kind of a production agriculture and still even provide for their family, even if it's not even a business. Um, you know, when we get from there, you know, Miss Scott, you know, in the barn, we're constantly redreaming. What are we going to do in that barn? And, and I don't know if it's going to happen this year. It's a good possibility it will. But I think we might actually start branching into market goats as well. Um, last year was the first year we technically showed all five species at the Delaware State Fair. And I say five is probably six. Um, you know, we had dairy cows, beef cows, hogs, sheep, um, as well as goats. I guess it is five. Um, and then of course, I think there's some kids that show horses too. Um, but 
that's something that we're really proud of is that we want to be able to provide our kids all of these opportunities. Um, and the goats have kind of been the final piece to the puzzle. And unfortunately, fortunately, however you want to look at it, that was my background. Um, so I think that is kind of a different avenue that we're branching into as well. Uh, Mr. Curry, he's always dreaming back there. And, you know, that plasma cutter was a really fun addition to the shop. And it is something that people are making really good money at. Um, so I know he has plans to actually continue to basically design on that and to actually be able to sell more of those products and be able to offer them to the community. Um, you know, from there, I, I think it's really a matter of just becoming the number one FFA chapter in the state of Delaware if we aren't already. Um, we know we're in the top three because we there's a national chapter award and, and we're ranked in those top three. I think we were top this year, but it kind of keeps fluctuating every year. But, you know, to really just make sure that our kids are the ones that are going to walk out of this program and out of that FFA chapter and people are like, wow, you're from Lake Forest. Like, we know that's the best. And I think that's always our goal is to, to make sure that they're the most well prepared, but not just for not just being polished, but also having the education and the preparation to go into their life, whether it be college, career or military and be prepared. Well, I know you've given a lot of reasons why if I were a student, I would want to take uh, FFA or I would want to be in ag science in some some perspective. But go ahead and and take a minute and tell students and parents, like, why should kids choose ag science, agriculture as a pathway? Agriculture is one of those things that, you know, as I said previously, there's there's four million jobs in the United States that is associated with agriculture. And the chances are that you can be associated one in, in one of those careers, whether it be just a part time job or whether it be your full time career. There's a very high likelihood in that. Uh, you know, a lot of our kids are looking for these part time jobs and you can cut grass and and you can work on a farm and you can do all these different things and make that money now to start building your bank account, whether it's to pay for car insurance or whether it's just to to survive on and help your family. Um, you know, so I, I think we provide a lot of basic skills to help them to, to get involved now and to make money now. But aside from that, I think what our kids love the most is the fact that it is a little bit more of a laid back, hands on, you can breathe environment. Um, you know, we teach them real things. And, and I know that's the kids come out of the rooms, out of the main building all the time. They're like, when am I ever going to use that? That's not really asked in our class. And if it is, I can explain to you, you know, if we're doing timber math, I can explain to you the reason we are calculating timber is to be able to figure out how much firewood you can get out of this tree so that you could sit on the side of the road and you could sell that firewood. And the kids automatically like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I get it. I could do that in the future. You know, so I think for a student who is looking for hands-on opportunities, this is the place to come. I mean, yes, the other CTEs, they offer it too, but in, in agriculture, it, it's a constant. It doesn't matter which program you're in, there's something that you're going to be doing with your hands every day. I think the other thing that kids really love about being in our programs is there's so many additional places. There's the barn, there's the greenhouse, there's the shop. And for a student, you know, they're strapped to their desk, they feel like all day. And, and in our class, they can go to the greenhouse and they can water the plants. And and I have kids that I, I think it is actually meditation for them to walk out there, see that plant growing, water it. You know, today I was out there helping a kid hang his plant from the ceiling because that thing is like six foot tall and it is falling <laughs> over. You know, but that is something that he you can watch the berry as soon as he walks out there that he breathes. Um, and I, I think that is something that is just a real unique aspect of our classes. And, you know, and then you add the FFA to the side of things. And I know a lot of kids, they either love it or they hate it. I feel like there's not much of an in-between. And But I think for a parent or for a student who realizes they need to be pushed out of their box a little bit, taking that step. And whether it's just coming to the first chapter meeting or just telling your ag teacher like, hey, I want to try something. What should I try? I, I think that is an opportunity that so many kids miss that I wish they wouldn't. Um, you know, as I said early on in the conversation, if I hadn't taken the step to join the FFA and to be brave and get involved, I would not be a teacher. I would not be standing here in front of this microphone having 
having this conversation with you because um, I wouldn't have the confidence to do it. So I, I think as a student or a parent who has a child that they know needs to do more and can do more, putting them in the FFA is a great place to start kind of pushing them out of their comfort shell and just seeing what they can do. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, For sure. whenever I go back there, um, whether I'm in the shop or the barn or whatever, I mean, everybody seems to be having such a good time and kids are getting dirty and, yep. and you know, chasing chasing dogs or <laughs> yeah. pigs around. Yep. And, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It, it really is. is. I mean, and, oh, um, I tell kids all the time, you know, the reason I'm an agriculture teacher and the reason I joined ag classes and FFA was because free food and trips. I mean, that, <laughs> that's what I tell kids from the jump. You know, if nothing else, that's what you get out of it. But, you know, aside from that, you get into all the technicalities of it. But yeah, that's sometimes free food and the trips are a big part too. That's a, that is a big part of it. But they're, you're also doing some very good functional we stuff are. that I think kids... I just love the way that the kids are empowered. Like I say, when I go back there or when I'm at an event, I am not greeted by um, Mr. Curry. I'm usually greeted by Kaylin or one of the one of the officers will come up to me and say, thank you for being here. Here's your seat. Is there anything I can get you? Whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, really professional student. So I think um, the way that the students are empowered to run the program and lead, um, really, they learn some really practical things, which I I think um, you hit the nail on the head that, uh, you know, could you have been teacher of the year had you not had that ag background? Probably. But I definitely think the experiences that you had to get out of your comfort zone when you're 14, 15, 16 years old really do help you down the road when you're, you know, now an adult professional and you've got to you've got to step up and, and do something big. So I think it's awesome. I, I regret that I didn't get to do it. <laughs> but I was in the city. So you turned out pretty good. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> so, OK, last chance. Anything you want to add? I think, you know, for anybody listening, whether it be a parent or a student or somebody that's looking at the Lake Forest School District in the future as maybe your, your possible employer, this this really is the best choice. Um, you know, I've been to a couple other schools and, you know, whether it be that I taught there or I've just visited and, and Lake Forest is unique. Um, you know, whether it be the student population, whether it be the area in which we live in, whether it be the programs that we offer here, whether it be the leadership that we have, you know, we really do have the perfect combination of everything right now. And I'm just really blessed to have worked here. And I hope that, you know, for the remaining 19 years teaching, you know, everyone's grandchildren at that point, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hope to be able to continue my trek here and, and continue to pour into these students. And, and hopefully by the time I retire, this program's double the size and, and the kids are just that much further along. And, and we have all kinds of more enterprises and businesses here. And, and the program is just, just splurged. Um, that's the goal. And I just thank you for having me here today. And I hope that Lake Forest continues being the absolute best choice and we can keep pushing forward. Well, we definitely are. And, you know, we like to think our we know our vision is to be the model of excellence in education. And you guys certainly are the model of excellence in in ag science and agricultural education. And we appreciate you doing that because, you know, we have high expectations. That's another thing about this district that we have high expectations and students know that and staff know that. And I think that's part of why the experience here is so um, uh, rewarding. Because we all feel like we really want to represent Lake Forest the best we possibly can. And when everybody does that, the standards are really high and people really feel good about coming to school and coming to work and learn every day. So thank you. And um, this has been amazing. I really appreciate it. And and you've been really clear um, in your explanation about our department here and uh, really inform the, the entire Lake Forest community. We, are, community. we are really fortunate to have you here. We oh, really thank appreciate you. It. I appreciate it. 
All right, folks, that does it for this month's Spartan Podcast. If you have any feedback for the show, please leave us a comment. We hope you join us for episode 10 when we hear from Lake Forest High School Athletic Director, Mr. Fred Johnson. You won't want to miss that. Thank you. Until then, take care of each other. And on behalf of myself and Mrs. Saxton, we look forward to seeing you on a Lake Forest campus soon. I look forward to seeing you. Sounds good. Around the barn. That's right. I'll be here. (laughs) Take care. Thank you. Thank you, folks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.